would like to uh, walk with you through that. And so I want to welcome you this morning. Welcome to those of you who are in-house. Welcome to those of you online at Fort Lupton Campus. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here. And uh, you know, when I was a kid, one of the things that we did a few times uh, growing up was we would take the RTD bus from our house in Wheat Ridge downtown for the Parade of Lights. It's that time of year. The Parade of Lights is almost coming up. Any fans of the Parade of Lights here? All right, a few of you, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. Here's the thing, uh, you know, parades are kind of hit or miss for kids, right? And what I mean is like, on one hand, you have the anticipation of the parade. Uh, for us, we were riding the bus down there, so we knew that we could swing on the bars on the bus, right? Anybody, like, if you haven't done that, kids, like, put that on your list to do, because uh, it's a lot of fun. Buses, trains, anything that moves, hang on those bars and just hold on tight. It's a lot of fun. Um, but we also had the anticipation because, man, we were going to the parade, right? So we were going to be, be able to see the big floats and all the beautiful lights, and, uh, and maybe they were going to throw candy at us. And then at the Parade of Lights, you know that the very last thing to come through the parade is Santa himself, right? And so you, you get to shout out what you want to Santa, and it was a lot of fun. But uh, it was hit or miss because uh, on one hand, you have the anticipation. On the other hand, you realize that out of everybody at the parade, you are among the shortest people there, right? And, and there's this awkward phase where you're, you're a little too big to sit on dad's shoulders. You're a little too short to be able to have a good point of view. And so sometimes, sometimes if you're not fortunate enough or you're not able to, to get there early enough to hold your spot, sometimes your perspective of the parade is just everybody's backsides that's in front of you. Right? You're looking around, trying to see all the stuff, and it's just like it's not worth it anymore. Here's the thing, here's why I bring that up, is because when we are going through the valley, right, we're in the middle of this series called Through the Valley, as you're going through the valley, whatever that valley is for you, a valley of sorrow, a valley of grief, a valley of loss or, or pain of, of some sort, our perspective gets thwarted, our, our perspective changes, doesn't it? It's like we get these blinders put on that we can't really see anything else. In fact, if you take your hand, everybody take your right hand and kind of hold it up like this, Right now, how big is your right hand? It's, uh, it's just your hand, right? But if you put it like this over your eyes, everybody do this, all of a sudden your right hand is bigger than the room that we're sitting in. All right, now you can take your hands away so you can still see me, all right? But that's what sorrow does to us, doesn't it? It's like this blinder that, that comes up. It, at best, it's like this dark pair of sunglasses that we see everything in life through this dark shade. Even the best things in life are now seen through this dark shade in front of us. And we would do anything, wouldn't we, to get a, a different perspective? We'd do anything to be able to get to the peak, to get to the mountaintop, to see things differently, which is why we decided let's do a three-week series on sorrow, because it's this time of year that for many of us, uh, all those things that, that we've lost, all those pains that we carry, all that grief that has been in our lives, that, that it sort of comes to the surface. It, it sort of floats to the top. And again, we have these blinders on. And so last week, we started this series off by uh, talking about how we've all experienced loss, right? We all have different kinds of loss, different maybe degrees of loss. For some of us, we've lost the comfort of a lifestyle. We've lost our health. Uh, we've lost our financial well-being. We've, we've, maybe we've, our kids have moved out, or maybe a, a child has, has walked away from the family or the faith. Maybe, maybe you've lost someone. Maybe someone close to you, a, a parent, a child, a, a family member has died. 
And we've all carried this kind of loss over, over not only the last couple of years, but, but for a long, long time. And, and we look at this verse out of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus says this, Blessed or happy or highly favored are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, we looked at this idea that when we're in the valley of our pain, in the valley of our suffering, that we are to, instead of avoiding and instead of numbing, instead of ignoring our pain, that we actually turn toward it and embrace it. And when we do, that we get to experience God's comfort. We get to experience his presence, his healing. And I know it's counterintuitive to do that. I know it's counterintuitive because it's painful. It's not natural. But we, we, we gave you some homework last week. Do you remember what the homework was? It was to make a list. Some of you reached out to me this week and said how that was going for you and, and how helpful it was for you to just simply go down and, and list out specifically the losses that you are grieving right now. That's, that's an important step. In fact, if you are, uh, maybe if you haven't done that, or you need some help to do that, we've created a, a document on our website. It's under the care page, under the grief section. Actually, Doug Schmidt, one of our amazing staff members here, wrote this document. It's called a loss inventory tool. And so you can go on and download this PDF if you'd like, print it out if you'd like, and, uh, and allow that tool to help you uh, make your list of grievances. Also, we invited you to an event that we're, ha that we're having a week from tomorrow called Surviving the Holidays. If you have not signed up for this, if you are grieving, if you're going through the valley, if, or if someone you know is in the middle of that, man, I would encourage you, take a picture of this slide, use that QR code as a, as a, a way to sign up for it, or you can also go through the app or our website and sign up for this. It's going to be a breath of fresh air for you. Not only that, it's going to be, it's going to offer you some practical tools to navigate this season and to, to find some healing in your grief and sorrow. And so today as we get started, uh, what I want to ask you is this, is when you're going through the valley, when you're in the middle of the sting of sorrow and, and sadness and grief, what are the questions that roll through your mind? What are, the, what are the questions that seem to, to just take up occupancy in your brain? And, and they may not ever have any answers, which kind of makes it frustrating. But, but, but these, what are the questions? You know, I think one of the, one of the questions that m probably all of us ask is, is why? You ever ask that? Like, why? Why, why me? Why, why did this have to happen? Why did I have to lose this? Why, why wasn't it prevented? Why didn't it get avoided? Like, why, why me? Why now? I mean, this is, a, this is a, a natural question, but man, it's a question that can just kind of drive us nuts, right? Because we, we, we don't ever hear the answers to why. What are the questions that, that go through your mind? You see, today we're looking at a story in the Gospel of John, and it's a story where people ask Jesus some really hard questions. Maybe some questions that you're thinking. They, 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 they just confront Jesus in a way almost rudely, and they confront him with some of these hard, hard questions. And so to set up this story, it's a story about a man named Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, these three siblings, they were Jesus' good friends. They were buddies, all right? They, these were the people that when Jesus got off work, he would go and hang out with them. They, they would go bowling together. They would eat meals together. Like, this is, these were Jesus' people. This is who he hung out with, his best friends. And so the story goes that uh, Lazarus gets ill. He gets sick one day. And, and Mary and Martha realize that this sickness is different. 
that there's, that there's something wrong here, that, that this is going to end differently than it has in the past, that Lazarus is sick and is going to die from it. You see, Jesus was a few days journey away with his disciples doing some work uh, in another part of Israel. And, and so they sent word to Jesus like, hey, your buddy's sick. And I think they, they sent word to Jesus for a couple of reasons. One was because, hey, this is your friend. Come and, and say hi to him. Come and be with him. And, and two, maybe Jesus will, will do something cool. Like they've seen Jesus do other things. They, they've seen him heal people. They've, they've seen him do miraculous things. So maybe if Jesus comes, he'll heal Lazarus. So they send word to Jesus, and, and he gets word that Lazarus is ill and dying, and, but he chooses not to come right away. In fact, he waits a couple of days, then he tells his disciples, let's go ahead and, and go and, and see Lazarus. But by this point, Lazarus was dead. And so we pick up the story in John chapter 11, if you want to turn there, verse 17, it says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And here Martha said to Jesus the thing that many of us would like to say. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever wondered that? Like, where were you, Lord? Where were you? You showed up, but it was, it was too late. You see, this is the moment where a lot of people turn away. People who have maybe like, I'm going to give Christianity a try, and, and here I'm trying it out, and I'm, I'm going to church, and then this, this huge thing happens. I, I pray that God would help. I pray that God would take this pain away. I pray that God would, would help us avoid this pitfall or, or whatever it is, and, and it didn't happen. And, and so I've been there, done that. I've tried it, and, and I'm turning away. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered, God, where were you? I mean, here's the thing. like You could have prevented this, but you, you didn't. Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when my marriage dissolved? Where were you when my health took a turn and I got that totally unforeseen news from the doctor? Where were you when my finances took a wreck? Where were you when my children moved away? And this leads to deeper questions, doesn't it? Like, God, are you still good? Are you trustworthy? God, are you able, like, are you powerful? enough? Like, like God, when, when we come to you with these questions and you don't seem to do anything, are you even listening? You see, Martha had the guts to run up to Jesus and just kind of lay it out there for him. God, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. This unfiltered, sort of direct from the heart prayer to Jesus. You know, sometimes we, when we think, uh, or when we're praying, we, we think we have to sound hyper-spiritual or like polished, you know? Like when we're praying, have you ever noticed that? Like sometimes we're tempted to be like, oh, dearest Lord, blessed thou uh, today, and thank you for the blessings you have bestowed upon us. And we use words that we don't ever use in any other type of, of conversation in the world, right? Like, like we have this special language that we have to pray in. But, but have you ever thought about like what would it look like to just be raw and, and real with God? 
that, that he's big enough to handle it? Have you ever done that? What would it look like for you to do that? To be unfiltered, to, to just sort of let him have it. In his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro is talking about Job. And he's, if, if you're not sh- uh, familiar with Job, the story of Job, there's a whole book on him and his life in the Bible. So I'll give you the quick recap. Job was the richest man around. In short, he lost everything. He lost all of his possessions, all of his relationships. Either they left him or they died. He lost his own health. It was, he was just this miserable person at the end of it. And, it, and he, Pete Scazzaro says this, he shouted at God. He prayed wild prayers. He, he, told ex- he told God exactly what he was feeling. For 35 chapters, we read how he struggled with God. He doubted. He wept. He wondered where God was and why all this had happened to him. He did not avoid the horror of his predicament, but he confronted it directly. If you could pray anything to God without the pressure of feeling like you had to get all the right words and make it sound polished, what would you say? If you could just pray an unfiltered prayer to God, what would you say? This is what Martha did in that moment. It continues on in John 11, verse 23. Jesus answers her and he says, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, well, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Translation is, Jesus, yeah, I get it. One day he's going to rise again. But today, today he's in the tomb. Like, I I know that, Jesus. Like, thanks for that reminder. But that's not today. That's, That's like a long time from now. Today is the day where he is not alive. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So then he responds to her and he asks her a question. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is the most important question. You see, what what is Jesus doing here? He realizes that Martha is walking around like this. Like many of us do, right? When the unthinkable happens, we walk around like this. We can't see anything. What Jesus is doing here is he's, he's saying, okay, Martha, let's take a step back. Let's take a step back. Let's pull, the, let's pull the sorrow away from your eyes for just a moment. And he says, the most powerful truth is this, is that I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asks her just a simple question. Do you believe this? Why does he ask her that question? You see, in our seasons of suffering in the valley, when we are walking through the valley, it, it's a pressure cooker for our faith. It's a pressure cooker. What I mean is this, is that it's in those seasons where we are tested, where our faith is put to the test, that everything that we've said we believed, everything that our mama told us, everything that we learned in vacation Bible school, everything that the preacher told us is actually put to the test. Do I really believe what I say I believe? Examples. It's one thing to say that God is good when everything in life is going well. It's a completely different thing to say God is good when life is terrible, but you know it on a gut level. You know what I'm saying? 
You see, it's one thing to say that, that, you, that, that God is with you and that you trust him. It's a totally different thing to say that God is with you and you trust him when everybody else has left you, that nobody else is around and that you don't even feel his presence anymore. So he says, do you believe this? And it wasn't like in a sarcastic tone, like, come on, Martha. <laughs> come on, don't you believe this? Like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Like, stop crying. Don't you believe this? No, it wasn't that. It wasn't condemning. What it was was an invitation. It was an invitation for something deeper. You see this word belief, when Jesus asks her, do you believe this? We've, we've kind of messed this word up in our language. We've kind of used it interchangeably with the word know or think. Like, do you believe this? Well, yeah, I know that to be true. So what happens? We, we, we learn a lot of facts about God and, and we think we believe it, right? Because we have all the right answers up here. But then it's in that pressure cooker season where those get tested. You see, belief isn't just knowing. You can actually know something, even know the right thing, and not believe it. Did you know that? You see, belief is a, is a deep assurance. It's a deep down trust. It's something that you know in your guts. It's something that you rely on. It's more than just a fact. It's something that you hang your life on. You see, it's, something, it's one thing to know something up here. It's another thing to rely on that thing. When I was a kid, we went to uh, kids camp several summers in a row, and I just loved kids camp, right? I mean, there's just something about like getting away from the parents, and, and you get to hang out with your buddies for a week and do, uh, have all this great fun. And, and one year in particular, we were going to go rappelling down this rock cliff, and, you know, the night before, all of us kids, all these guys were, like, you know, talking a big game. Like, oh, this is going to be easy. It's going to be fun. Like, I'm going to be swinging like Spider-Man down this cliff or Batman or whoever does that. And, and uh, uh, but the next day we get there and it was, we all, like, kind of cower back, right? Because we're at the foot of this, like, 80-foot cliff and we're going, wait, you want me to do what? You want me to, you want me to come down that thing? <laughs> And so we hike up around to the top of this, and they're strapping us in with these little bitty harnesses. And you're like, are you sure? And they're like, no, 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 I promise, it's going to hold you. And then this little bitty rope that's like maybe a little bit bigger than dental floss, and they're like, here, this rope's going to hold you. And you're like, are you sure? Right? So you, you hear all these facts, okay? The rope is rated for this weight. The, the carabiners and stuff, they're rated for this weight. The, the harness is rated for this weight. You weigh 100 pounds. Like, you're going to be fine, I, I promise. And it's like... Okay, I know that, but I don't know that. And then they tell you to start walking backwards off this cliff, and you're like, are you, what are you telling me to do, right? And so you start walking backwards, and they say, you got to lean back. Don't lean forward. Lean back. So, you, so here you are dangling your life off this cliff. And, and at the beginning, it is really like a, le a leap of faith. Like, I don't know that this is going to hold me. They tell me it is, but I, but I haven't experienced it yet. And then you start to go back and, and you realize, like, the further you get down, you're like, okay, all right, maybe they were telling me the truth. This looks like it's going to hold me. And then you start having fun and you start getting fancy and jumping off rocks and stuff like that. And by the time you get down to the bottom, here you are with your buddies again talking a big game. Like, oh, yeah, I wasn't scared. That was awesome. I'm going to do it again, right? What's the difference? You see, before I repelled, I, I knew all the right things. But it was when I actually put my trust in it, when I put my assurance in the harness and the rope, that I knew it on a completely different level. 
Spoiler alert, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I just got to wonder, like when, when Jesus asked Martha this question, do you believe this? If he would have asked her that after Lazarus rose from the dead, how do you think she would answer that question? You see, it wouldn't be just a bunch of head knowledge, like, yes, Jesus, I know that one day you're going to raise everybody back up, and I know that you're the resurrection, like, I, I believe that, I understand that. No. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, she would answer that from a totally different place. Martha, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Are you kidding me? Did you see what you just did? Like, my brother who was in the grave for four days, who was stinking of decay, is now walking among us again. Like, of course I believe that. Like, down into my soul, I believe that. Nothing's ever going to change my mind. You see, it went from this understanding, this intellectual acknowledgement, down to this deep-rooted belief. And that's what happens. That's what happens in the valley. It's, not, it's no longer just this, yes, I understand, but, but now I know firsthand. Jesus said to her in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? This is actually a really great prayer, a great question to ask. In fact, if you're stuck in the cycle of asking why, maybe ask this question. God, what is it about you that you want to show me? What is it about you and your character that you want me to experience on a deep level? What are some things that I know about you that, that you want me to know about you? God, what is it that you want to show me in this valley? It, it reminds me of that conversation Jesus had with the father who said, Jesus, I believe. Would you help my unbelief? God, what do you want me to know? You see, it's in those valleys, not the mountaintops. It's in the valleys that our faith is fortified. And it's almost like Jesus tells Martha, pulls the, the, the blinders away and says, keep your eyes right here. Remember me. Remember who I am. Remember what I'm doing. Remember that, that I am the resurrection and the life. That I'm redeeming all things. That I'm making all things new. That, that, that I am good. Remember that I am faithful. Remember that I'm trustworthy. Remember that I'm with you. Remember that I'm working. Remember that I'm not going to let you down. Remember me. Keep your eyes right here, Martha. Do you believe me? Trust me. Hold on to me. So Martha runs back. She runs back to her house and gets Mary and says, Mary, you got to come talk to Jesus. And so by this time, everybody in the village was there with them. They had been weeping and mourning along with Mary and Martha for the last four days. And so not only Mary and Martha go back to Jesus, but this entire crowd of people. So here Jesus is, you can imagine him with his disciples and, and now this, this audience of, of people. And verse 32, it says this, but now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and she said the same thing that Martha did. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother, my brother would not have died. You know, last week we talked about this idea that God is with us all the time, that sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, that when we're going through painful times that he is with us in the valley. But today I want to ask another question, kind of along those same lines, but what is God's posture toward you while he's with you? Maybe that's kind of a weird question, maybe a question you haven't ever thought about, but, 
But when you kind of imagine God with you, what is he doing? What's his posture toward you? For some of us, he might be like the angry father who's just kind of sitting there with his arms crossed, leaning against the wall. Yeah, I'm with you. Kind of sighing. When are you going to get your act together? Or maybe he's that awkward friend who doesn't quite know what to say. Maybe he's trying to find his way to get out of the room. Maybe he's nervous. Maybe, maybe, what is he doing when he's with you? Have you ever thought about that? That's a really great question. Why? Because it actually reveals what we truly believe about God and who he is. It's a great question. You should ask yourself whether you're in season of suffering or not. What is God's posture toward me? And, and here's why I ask that question. Because in John 11, 33, he, he answers this question. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. He didn't try to say anything. He didn't try to fix it. It says that he was deeply moved. That same word in the Greek, deeply moved, is also translated as like a horse snorting. <laughs> like this, this involuntary gasp, this wailing of sorts. That, that Jesus let out this, this, this wailing and then he, he wept. <laughs> Did you catch why he wept? Like, you might have heard it said that he was sad because Lazarus died. Like, of course he wept. He was sad because they were friends. Well, let's read this verse 33 again. Here it is. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Why did Jesus weep? The God of the universe wept because they were weeping. Like Jesus entered into their weeping. He entered into their agony. I mean, don't let this get lost on you. What is God's posture toward you while you're in the valley? He created life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the God of the universe. I mean, he could, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He could have just said, hold on, time out, everybody. I know you're sad, but, but watch this. Let me show you something and you're not going to be sad anymore. No, but he didn't do that. He takes the time to step into their agony, into their pain, and he wept with them. Like, what a beautiful picture that is. The God of the universe empathizes with you and your pain. When you weep, he weeps. When you wet the floor with your tears, He's doing the same thing. He weeps with us. Nicholas Wolterstorff, a man who lost his son in a mountain climbing accident, wrote a book called Lament for a Son. It's an amazing book that just gives you a picture of grief. It's not one of those grief books that kind of gives you a how-to to walk through it or like here's the steps. It really is just a picture of his grief. Think of it as like his journal. And he says this, 
Through the prism of my tears, I have seen a suffering God. It is said of God that no one can behold his face and live. And I always thought that this meant that no one can see his splendor and live. A friend of mine said perhaps this meant that no one could see his sorrow and live. Or perhaps his sorrow is splendor. Man, what an amazing God we have. That he is acquainted with grief. That he is the suffering servant. That he is a God who knows our sorrow. He's not afraid of it. He's not running away from it. But that he steps into it with us. When we're trembling, he's trembling. That he is the resurrection and the life. Yet he weeps with us. Do you believe this? Do you believe that the resurrection and the life empathizes with our pain? I think for some of us, Jesus is saying, like, let me show you. Keep trusting. Keep holding on. Don't let go. Don't turn around. Don't, don't, don't close your eyes. Like, keep looking at me. Keep relying on me. When you're weeping, I'm weeping right there with you. Let me ask you this. What is God inviting you into in the valley that you're in? What is he inviting you into? Is there a deeper belief that God wants you to have? Is there something about himself that he wants you to experience on a deeper level? Is he wanting you to experience his love in new ways or his presence in new ways? What is it that God might be inviting you to experience of his glory? Is he, is he wanting you to, to experience his empathy, his tears? What is it that God is inviting you into? For some of us, He's calling us into a deeper belief, a deeper reliance, a deeper trust. To take our knowledge that we know about God and to move it deeper. You see, this story about Lazarus is kind of left undone for me. And here's what I mean, is that the whole village is there and they see Lazarus come back to life and they're celebrating that. But I have to wonder, how many of them saw this happen and go, yeah, but what about what about my brother? Like, have you ever wondered that? Like, you see God move powerfully in someone else's life, and you're like, yeah, but, like, that's cool. Like, that's awesome. I'm happy for you, but, but what about my situation? Like, my brother's still in the grave. My health is still down in the pits. My marriage is still over. Like, my kids have still walked away. Like, what about my situation? Here's the thing is, like, Lazarus died again. He died again, and I have to wonder if he was on his deathbed going, is Jesus going to raise the, me again? Is he going to prevent this? And he didn't. Mary and Martha, when they died, were they wondering the same thing? Like, is Jesus going to do something cool for me? Is he going to raise me back to life? Well, guess what? He didn't. Every single one of the disciples except one of them died horrible deaths because of their faith. Did Jesus prevent that? He didn't. Countless others throughout the history of the church died for their faith. Did Jesus prevent those? No, he didn't. So what do we do with that? Is Jesus still the resurrection and the life? Why? How is he the resurrection and the life if he's not preventing all these terrible things? Here's why. The simple fact that Jesus himself died on a cross for you and me and rose back to life. That's it. Defeating death, defeating loss, 
reversing it, that one day all of our loss, all of the decay, all of the death that we've experienced, all of the heartache that we have carried through this life is going to be reversed, that he's going to replace all things, he's going to make all things new, he's going to redeem all things. One day there will be no more tears and no more death. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Father, we come to you this morning and we ask for your help. God, we give you praise for who you are, that you're a God who's not far away, you're a God who's not callous toward us, you're a God who, who, who isn't someone who is awkward and doesn't understand us, but you are a God who is close. Not only are you close, but that you enter into our pain and you weep with us. Father, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you for showing us the glory of your sorrow. You are so good. So God, I pray for those now who are in the middle of the valley. Their perspective is hindered. They're, they're, they don't see what you're doing. Nothing makes sense. There's no answers to the questions why. My prayer for them this morning is simple, that they would experience your empathy, that they would experience your tears. God, that they would sense your love and your closeness to them. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're at a place this morning where you are ready to put your faith in Jesus, you are at a place, maybe you're in that valley and you're saying, man, I need to trust in something and, and this sounds like the best option. Well, I want to encourage you, it is. And it's simple, it's it's answering the question, do you believe this? And so if that's you, we want, you to, we want to walk with you through that. We want to encourage you. We want to pray with you. We want to answer questions that you might have. We want to walk with you through that process. You can text the name Jesus to the number on the screen, and we will be with you and in touch with you about that, all right? Every weekend, we spend time remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, his body and his blood broken and poured out for us the resurrection and the life who made a way, who made a way for us to be with our good God. That he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us because he is the resurrection and the life. Let's remember together by eating the bread and the cup. Well, every weekend we spend time singing together and it, usually we, we stand together at this time. But what I want to ask you this morning is for this first song, I want you to remain seated and I want, to, I want you to allow these words of this song to minister to your soul this morning. So let's sing together.